It's Midday Magazine for Wednesday, June 14th, and I'm Shelby Herbert. The small island community of Petersburg is dealing with a new wave of COVID-19 cases in the wake of several large public gatherings. Jennifer Briner is the chief nursing officer at Petersburg's Medical Center. She says it's impossible to know the exact number of cases in town because of the widespread use of home test kits. But what from but from what she's seen in the past few weeks, she knows it's a lot. Um, we've definitely seen a lot of um, new COVID activity. I would say it's probably quite widespread in the community. We're, we're definitely seeing more people calling and letting us know that they have COVID or asking for um, Paxlovid treatment. Many people who catch the virus choose to test and recover at home. But a lot are getting diagnosed in the emergency room with more severe symptoms. Fever, cough, sore throat, fatigue, and loss of smell. Reiner says the influx of COVID patients coincides with large numbers of people traveling in and out of town in early summer. Petersburg hosted the Little Norway Festival in May, which drew huge crowds. Then hundreds more came out for two weddings that took place on the first weekend of June. Reiner says COVID patients are, arising, are, are arriving from visiting cruise ships as well. We definitely have had cruise ship passengers and crew, I believe, probably even. I'm not saying that that's how it's getting here. I'm just, but there are definitely people who um, we see from the cruise ships. Briner says Petersburg Medical Center is prepared to handle the wave of patients. They're well-staffed and well-stocked with Paxlovid. And there have been no COVID hospitalizations so far this month. But she encourages locals to stay vigilant. The Alaska Department of Health recommends one of the updated booster shots for everybody six months and older. Those who are immunocompromised or over the age of 65 may be eligible for a second dose. Briner says those who have been exposed to the virus or are developing symptoms should take a test, although some home tests may not turn positive immediately. It takes sometimes a while for you to get enough of the virus kind of in your nasal area to turn the test positive. So the main story is that if you have symptoms, you should stay clear from people versus just saying, oh, I had a negative test and I'm free because that you might turn positive tonight or the next day. According to the latest and final weekly COVID update from the state's Division of Public Health, COVID-19 cases are slowly declining across Alaska. Most of those cases are caused by two Omicron subvariants. And Alaska's COVID-19 public health emergency expired in May. So for the rest of the summer, the Division of Public Health will release its COVID report on a monthly basis. Free, free take-home COVID test kits are available at Petersburg's public library and at the front desk of the medical center. You can also find test kits and masks at the Petersburg Public Health Center, located on 103 Fram Street. Coastal communities throughout Alaska have environmental waivers that let them pipe minimally treated sewage into the ocean. Many of the permits were issued decades ago, and water quality standards have since tightened. Now, Wrangell is one of the first of these towns to face huge costs as it looks at adding a disinfection process at its sewer plant. Sage Smiley reports from Wrangell. Well, 
sewage treatment isn't a quiet process. Basically, everything that's covered in the insulation here, that is where the wastewater comes into the system. That's Tom Waiter, Wrangell's Public Works Director. There's a screen located inside of what you're looking at there, and that takes out like wet wipes, you know, tampons, condoms, all kinds of other things that get flushed down the toilet that aren't supposed to. Screened sewage goes through a collection of ponds where microbes feast on oxygen and sludge, breaking down solids. Eventually, that treated sewage gets sent through a pipe beneath the highway next to the cemetery and along the ocean floor about 1,500 feet offshore in the Zamovia Strait. Many coastal communities in Alaska operate similarly, from nearby Ketchikan and even Anchorage. They all have a federal wastewater permit waiver called a 301H. There are relatively few 301H waivers around the country. Bill Dunbar is a spokesperson for the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA. Um, I think currently there are about two dozen nine of which are in the state of Alaska. The waiver is a decades-long collaboration between state and federal agencies. It allows communities to operate on minimal sewage treatment systems, ones that don't necessarily disinfect, but allow solids to settle out before the waste is disposed of in the ocean. And that can create issues. People still do get sick from swimming in polluted waters. This is a real risk, right? Sewage is a, is a real risk to people's health. And sewage is a real risk to people's health through the consumption of fish and shellfish that have been contaminated from sewage. The EPA and State Department of Environmental Conservation told Wrangell a couple of years ago they'd be reissuing its sewer permit with much stricter standards. And things have changed rather significantly in the state of Alaska and the way the state is implementing Clean Water Act and um, significantly ratcheting down the amount of pollution that uh, is allowed to be discharged into Alaska waters. While the agencies aren't asking for full-blown sewage treatment, Wrangell may be required to implement a new disinfection step within the next five years to be allowed to keep discharging sewage. Waiter says the paperwork is a long and intense process, heavy on the science and modeling. Obviously, you can't see through a microphone, but there's got to be 400 or 600 pages worth of documents here. Uh, you know, that we reviewed from the EPA and DEC and had to comment on. So it's it's been a, a quite a bit of back and forth with them over the last two years and what they were or were not going to require. And so it's it's a slow process and we're working through it now. There's a reason for that back and forth. Wrangell and the state and federal agencies have disagreements about some of the science, how fast the water moves out in the strait, for example. There are also significant concerns from Wrangell about the cost of a new disinfection process and testing requirements. Ultimately, all of these things are going to have an impact on number one, capital expenses, number two, operating expenses, and number three, possibly staffing. Waiter says the testing budget alone will probably quadruple under the terms of the new wastewater permit. Adding a disinfection step will require Wrangell to build a new building and add an additional treatment process inside. An engineer estimated in April those additions could cost around $12.6 million. Waiter says Wrangell has pushed back on the EPA and DEC since the beginning of the conversations about upgrades, explaining Wrangell can't afford them. He says there's been little give. Wrangell may be able to secure a low-interest loan to do the work, but even with a low-interest loan, user fees could have to more than double. Like, there's still an expense for us to do this. So if we don't get free money from somewhere, we've got to pay for it somehow. 
And so, you know, definitely some some concerns about this. Wrangell is one of six Alaska communities to have their permits targeted for the first round of renewals, including Petersburg, Ketchikan, Sitka, and Haines. Dunbar says the EPA understands that the upgrades are really expensive. Oftentimes, people say, gosh, that's a, that's a lot of money. But it's an investment over time that improves people's health, that can help maintain the health of say, shellfish bed, uh, of maybe uh, the shellfish industry, if, if that's something that is uh, important in a community. So the public health benefits are very real. Waiter says it's not that Wrangell is arguing against cleaner water standards, but reaching those standards could be prohibitively difficult. That includes the space physically available at Wrangell's wastewater treatment plant. On one side is the highway, which runs between the cemetery and the ocean. Really, we're, we're basically surrounded by a rock pit. You know, it's, it's bedrock pretty much everywhere around us. Ultimately, Waiter says... We need to start talking about this now. Five years will we'll go by quickly. It's... It's uh, definitely a doable time frame, but we, we don't have a lot of time to waste. No pun intended. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Gas seeps near the Aleutian Islands were discovered last month. It was during a U.S. federal expedition. In Unalaska, Sophia Stewart-Razi takes us on board the research vessel to learn more about what the discovery means. The Okeanos Explorer is docked in Unalaska, and it just finished its first of six expeditions mapping out the deep sea floor around the Aleutian Islands. It's May, and the weather is starting to calm down from the winter season, making it safer for research boats to come out to the Bering Sea. I'm with Expedition Coordinator Sam Coyar on board. He's with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and works on the 224-foot research vessel. So this is our control room. This is where we run all the mapping from, is this back row here. Uh, On this ship, Coyar and his crew discovered three seeps bubbling gas through the seafloor in the Aleutian Trench. And according to NOAA, the discovery is crucial. It's because these gas seeps can create unique surrounding habitats and could provide potential sources of alternative energy and biopharmaceuticals. But to Coyar and his crew, it was just another day on the job. If you're in that kind of routine, it's not exciting because it's not important. It's just it's part of your job and it's really cool to note, but you just keep going on with your job and keep looking for more. Mm -hmm. Coyar says finding these gas seeps wasn't a total surprise. That's because there's research from the U.S. Geological Survey that predicts where gas seeps could be in Alaska's waters. And now with more advanced machinery, there can be more advanced data collection from the seafloor. Now that you're seeing the different technologies catch up with being able to more properly and economically extract resources from the deep sea floor. We need to better understand them for protection, but also to understand what kind of resources are here. Alaska's oceans are predominantly unexplored. Coyar says it's partially due to Alaska's remoteness from the rest of the United States and the environmental difficulties that come with being so far north. But he said ice sheet melt from global warming is making seas more accessible than ever before. And so there's a renewed push by the U.S. government to better understand what is in those types of waters now that they're accessible. Mm -hmm. The Okeanos Explorer is out at sea till mid-October, mapping the deep waters around the Aleutian Islands, in the Aleutian Trench, and in the Gulf of Alaska. You can track the ship online at NOAA's website, and the collected data will be accessible to the public during and after expeditions. 
In Unalaska, I'm Sophia Stewart-Rossi. Tribes in southeast Alaska and across the border in Canada have declared an emergency for salmon facing environmental risks. Leaders with the Southeast Alaska Indigenous Transboundary Commission made the announcement at the fourth annual Indigenous Leaders Summit in Washington last week. The Transboundary Commission represents 15 Simshan, Tlingit, and Haida nations. They say that Pacific salmon are facing habitat loss and degradation of critical waterways on both sides of the border. Guy Archibald is the com- commission's executive director. We're seeing declining salmon stocks across the board, especially uh, king salmon or chinook. And we, you know, come to the conclusion that there's no time to wait. At the summit, participants talked about what they experienced at home. Violet Gattensby was a youth representative at the summit from Karkos, Yukon. She said, quote, our people no longer have salmon running in our streams. Salmon only live in our stories, end quote. Archibald says the commission wants two specific things to come from the salmon emergency declaration. They hope to unify tribes in Alaska and Washington, along with First Nations in Canada, to strengthen their message. And they want recognition for the traditional territories of southeast Alaska tribes that run across the border. Archibald says the lands are now in British Columbia and are subject to several large mines, some operating and some that are being proposed. Canada has to recognize those traditional boundaries and give Alaska tribes a real seat at the table on how these mines are developed. Archibald gave the example of the Eunuch watershed east of Ketchikan, which has several mining projects, like the Bruce Jack Gold Mine, the proposed KSM Gold Mine, and the SK Creek Revitalization Project, which is an old gold mine looking to reopen. And the EPA has updated its rules on the use of chemicals to disperse oil spills. The rules for disparents were last updated in 1994. That was just five years after a disparent was used in response to the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Prince William Sound. It was a highly controversial decision at the time, and the controversy arose again in 2010 when greater volumes of disparents were deployed on the Deepwater Horizon spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Disparents may break up an oil slick, sparing some birds and wildlife at the surface, but may increase the oil contamination for species that live lower in the water column. The toxicity toxicity of disparents themselves is also a concern for cleanup workers and other wildlife. A group of Alaskans filed a lawsuit in 2020 to force the EPA to rewrite the rules to take into account research on the long-term effects of disparents. The new rules revise the testing protocols before a chemical can be added to the list of approved products, require public notification of disparate use, and require more disclosure of the impacts on health and the environment. They go into effect in December.